like without any other alternative this time, just because that I'm not in there on the stage does not mean I do not have my people looking and watching about who's asleep and who's not and feeding me information there. So um, I don't have to worry about this group because Ryan gets you wide awake from the very beginning. Uh, we were looking for some young person to read the scripture today, and uh, our young man that was supposed to read was sick today, so I grabbed the youngest person who happened to be around me at the time, and it was Ryan Lee, uh, which I don't know how old you are now, Ryan, but you're young to me, brother. How old are you, by the way? Forty-two. Forty-two, and uh, rumors of his demise were greatly exaggerated. He did come back from India. He has been a little under the weather. We won't talk too much about that. But, uh, you know, some people just have to suffer for the Lord, and I'm sure your wife did. And so, uh, but Ryan is going to read our uh, scripture for us today out of Colossians. And so, if you would, Ryan. Colossians 3, verse 12. Therefore, as God has chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Now, before Ryan runs off, I want you to know, I actually did pre-think this a little bit when I was told our guy wasn't here because I thought, uh, as I, first I had to find exactly what verse I had picked out because I couldn't remember. <laughs> but once I read it, and I had already been thinking about this, and, and Ryan, you exemplify this verse, and it is a joy to partner with you in the ministry here. Thank you, brother, for serving our church. God bless you. <laughs> Well, we've been in this book of Colossians, and the first couple of chapters in this book is all about the doctrine, the supremacy of Christ, and who He is, and how great He is. And we've heard that from Phil, and we heard from Al, who talked about the, the Lordship of Christ. And then we got into the uh, uh, living for Christ, and what does it mean, and some things to be aware of, and some things about being holy. And so, as kind of we uh, talked about that, when Paul writes this to this group of people, he's writing to a bunch of Christians here at Colossae who have their own struggles, and they're new. A lot of them are new, and, and uh, they struggle not only with the Lord, they struggle with each other. So when he gets to this section, he moves from doctrine to discipleship. Or you might say he moves from belief to behavior. And so last week we talked a little bit about the first part of this, where he says, look, in your behavior, what you've got to do is you've got to set your heart and mind on things in heaven, not on things of the earth. Because remember, there are some people out there you've got to beware of that are trying to steal your joy. Matter of fact, they say if you have Christ plus, you have the legalists, Christ plus rules and regulations, you've got to have that to be right. Then you had the mystics, you have to have Christ plus this emotional experience. And if you don't have the emotional experience they have, then you're really not quite where they are spiritually. You have that kind of deal. And, and by the way, you know, that's those that they're in a quest for ecstasy, they lose touch of reality. If the, if the fullness of Christ in you is not enough, then it's all about you. And you're trying to do something to fulfill yourself with a vision, with an emotion. With a, and all of a sudden, that always ends up being very shallow. Because you do not have the ability to fill the brokenness, empty space in your heart. Only God can do that. And then you have the ascetics that says you just got to do something to make yourself to, in submission and be holier than other people. 
And Christ plus more holiness by punishing your own body. He says, you've got to be aware of all that kind of... That stuff still exists, and people are still trying to steal people's assurance and joy because they're telling them, Christ ain't enough. So he says, look, set your heart and mind on things above, and there's some things you need to get rid of now that you've become a Christian. And he lists all those things, and sexual immorality and greed and, and all these things that they've got to get out of your life. Now, they don't all get out at one time, right? Remember, the baptism doesn't drown the devil. So he's still out there. He's alive. And you still struggle with these things. I still struggle with these things. That's not my lifestyle. That's not how I live anymore. But those things are still a part of my struggle. And they will be till we die because we're in the flesh and we're broken people. And we're in a room with a bunch of broken people. At the same time, we're people who are broken who have come to the cross and know that we're full in Jesus Christ, even though we're in a mess in our own lives. So he said, well, what are you going to do as a group of people? How are you going to be holy? And that's what he's going to talk about today. He says, look, when you're new, one of the things that you have to do is you have to look a little different. Christ uh, clothes you different. The church clothes. Did you ever have church clothes when you were a kid? Uh, some of you that are older, you had this. Some of you, your church clothes is what you got on right now, right? And uh, I can remember being a, at a place one time I was asked to speak, and, and then I was told gently that, oh, by the way, everybody wears a coat uh, and tie when they come here. And I said, that's fine by me, you know. I can borrow one somewhere. Uh, I've got, I think, two suits, one, uh, one black and one gray, and they're typically for funerals and weddings. And I didn't coordinate the color with the ceremony, but you know what I'm saying. Uh, that, uh, uh, but uh, that's not how we do now. It's, that dress-up stuff is a little bit of cultural things influence that. But he says here, in Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, you're chosen, you're holy, and you're loved. That's a good start. Clothe yourselves. Put this on. Look this way. Put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Just the very start of this list. All these things make you look different than you looked before you were in Christ. Because you didn't have humility. Matter of fact, you were telling, you were telling people in authority in your life, hey, you ain't going to tell me what to do, right? Has anybody ever said that to anybody besides me? Now, I don't say it to my wife, but I have said it to people. No, he ain't telling me what to do. That lack of humility to learn. Kindness, just treating people with kindness. I was driving to, to uh, uh, in, in Dallas, Texas this week, and so I was going through. There was a couple of 18-wheelers over, and uh, uh, you know, and I'm kind of in between one of them. I'm trying to pass, get farther ahead of him so that I can get out from behind uh, these two big trucks. And, and uh, one of them was trying to make a turn. He really didn't have enough room, but he was, you know, he had his blinker on, but I, have, I was already up beside him. So when I went past him, he, uh, uh, he put a sign out the window that said, you're number one. <laughs> you got that, right? I, I, I appreciate your encouragement and uh, getting right on up ahead. And I'm going to get way ahead of this guy because I don't want him getting right up close to me anymore. He was not excited about me passing him at that point. 
Christians, we don't do that anymore. I hope we didn't do it to begin with, but we don't do it anymore if we did. We change. We clothe. We look different. Kindness. Compassion. That means we're moved from inside our hearts for the needs of other people. We live in a strange culture. We live in a culture that honors compassion, but this honors standing on truth. Because they think if you stand for truth, you can't be compassionate. Now, I've heard this over and over again. Well, your church teaches this, and y'all must not care about these people. Not true. Jesus is full of grace and truth. Compassion. Heart being able to be moved by the needs of other people. We've got to always have that about us. About us. But as Christians, we look different. All right, humility, gentleness, and patience. All these have to do with setting us up to be able to relate with one, to one another better. Because look what he says. Bear with each other. Now this word actually means to put up with. You ever had, you ever had somebody you just had to put up with? My wife, when she married me, she had to put up with how I was and how I was raised. Last night, she had to put up with me watching two games of one sport and recording another one to watch later on that night. She puts up with that. I'm not saying she enjoys it, but she puts up with it. You know, if you just bail when you don't like something that somebody does, that's not putting up. Bearing with each other means you learn to be able, with kindness, gentleness, compassion, all these qualities, you're able to put up with things that you don't really like. And look, if you're going to be successful as a church family... If we're going to be successful WFR, then we've got to put up with each other about things we don't like. We can't jump ship and run to another church down the street just because we don't want to put up with something. That's not godly, mature people. We dress different. We don't do that anymore. Because why? We're the family of God and we love each other and we put on these clothes and, one, and part of this putting on is being able to bear up under things or to put up with people. Now, poor Erica, just I learned from Gary when he gave the communion talk that, or the, uh, uh, that see, I, you know, man, his grandma set you up for putting up with some stuff right there, you know? But that's how we grow. That's how we get along with each other. And he says this next. Forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. This forgiveness thing. Well, C.S. Lewis said it this way. Forgiveness is a lovely idea until you have someone to forgive. It's hard when you've been wronged to forgive. When your mate has stepped out of your marriage, it's wrong. I mean, it's hard. When they've been, it's hard to forgive. So what makes us able to do this and practice this thing that's difficult is remembering Jesus forgave me. When I look at my own broken mess and realize Jesus 
has forgiven me time after time after time, sometimes for the same old sin over and over again, and He forgives me? Who am I not to forgive somebody in the body of Christ? Yeah, this thing of working together as a holy family, it's a little bit of a challenge. But he says you put on these church clothes, compassion, kind. And then he says you do something. Once you get dressed, you wrap it in a blanket. And here's what the blanket is. And above all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect harmony. Remember that also? I like to teach the world to sing in perfect harmony. Harmony. It's different noises being made that come out to be a beautiful sound because they go together. Unity. That's what he's talking about. So he says, love is the very thing. Look, when you're cold and you're lonely and you're hurting, what you need is you need wrapped in the warmth of the love of Christ. So, Mike, where does that come from? It comes from those people who are within the family of God. And they gather around you and they are the blanket of warmth around your heart when you're lonely and cold in life. And that brings together a body that's in harmony and in unity. Unity is not gained by structure. We do service one way in this room. We do a different way in another room. A church down the streets does their worship in a different style. Unity is not gained by structure. I'm just telling you. You can force everybody to the same structure, but it does not create perfect unity. And it does not feel like a warm blanket around you, does it? What does? When love is put on and it's wrapped around things like kindness and goodness and gentleness, and when love is wrapped around those things within the relationship of each other, that is the body of Christ. So now as the holy body of Christ and we're in harmony and we're wrapping ourselves in this love, what do we do toward each other? He says, well, here's what you have to do. You have to, in this holiness, in, in the church then gets lived out. And it gets lived out, first of all, by the peace of Christ. And then second, he's going to say by the word of Christ and third, by the name of Christ. Look what he says in the next verse 15. Let the peace of Christ rule your hearts. By the way, that word rule means the word for umpire. Anybody ever been an umpire? I've done that. Yeah, there's two of you here, and neither one of you do it anymore, right? I was an umpire one time in a, in a, in a baseball game, and so I love baseball, and, uh, but uh, I love watching it and playing it a lot more than umpiring it. And I'm umpiring, and I'm behind the plate, and the guy comes and he slides, he slides in, and the, uh, 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 he, he, he gets there, and the guy catching the ball tags him, and everybody's saying, uh, you know, he's out, but he drops the ball. And so then they're like, oh no, he's safe, and he picks up the ball, and I, and, and I call the guy out. And they're like, no, he dropped the ball, you, you know, they're calling me all these good names, you know, encouraging things. And so they're hollering at me. And, and what they don't see is that when the kid slid, he never got to the plate. So when the guy picked up the ball he had dropped, he was touching him with it. He's out. Well, you know, nobody. that's back before you could throw a red flag and have an instant replay and put it on a big screen and say, yeah, I'm right. I couldn't do that. 
I wanted to. I wanted to prove it to everybody. Being an umpire wasn't too good. An umpire keeps the rules and the boundaries. Guess what umpires our life? Peace of Christ. It sets the boundaries. Christ does. He's already set them here in the text for the family of God. And that's what keeps you in line. That's what keeps you in play. That's what keeps you where you need to be. The peace of Christ rules our hearts. Since members of one body, you're called to peace. Look, this is a relational thing. It's not just me and Jesus having peace. It's I have peace with other people within this relationship that I'm putting up with and I struggle with and I forgive, yet we have the peace of Christ ruling our hearts. And then he says what? And do what? And be thankful for that. Then he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. I like that word, richly. As you teach and admonish one another. Church bells are going off somewhere. (laughs) And look what he says. As you teach and admonish one another with all what? Wisdom. Wisdom. So the Word of Christ dwells in us. I mean, it lives inside of us. It's inside. We, we study the Word. We read the Word. The Word of Christ is what stirs our hearts. You see, now he's going to talk about tying that to worship. This is interesting. Because he says, The Word dwells in you, uh, and you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom as you, as this is going on, and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. So he says what happens in worship, worship involves several things. One, it involves the emotions. But it involves emotions that are not stirred by just anything out there. Your emotions are stirred by your intellect who knows God and what He's done for you. Because the Word of God dwells in you, so you teach, you admonish, and as this Word takes life and power it has in it, then you worship God, and there are emotions that are stirred, but they're stirred by God. They're not stirred by outside influences. Now, sure, I love I loved how Ryan leads worship. I love the worship in this particular room today. I love worship in other places. Uh, but it's not about what I love. What stirs me is not my preference. What stirs me is not my structure. What stirs me can't be what I like and what others like. What's got to be deep down inside me where worship really happens is the Word of God dwells in me. And out of the only what great things God's done, my heart responds with emotion in gratitude to God. And it also involves my will. I have to get up and choose to come. I have to choose when I'm here to participate. And as I participate, knowing God and what He's done, I anticipate. The presence of God and His Spirit among His people as we're together in harmony. The peace of Christ is ruling us. We're forgiving each other. We're praying with each other. We're wrapping the blanket of warmth around us. As we intellectually know who God is and what He's done, we acknowledge it from our hearts. It stirs our emotions and moves us to encourage and teach one another.
That's worship. It's not about style. It's not about what particular thing has happened and uh, uh, what instruments are used or not used. It's not about that. If you make it about that, you make it about you. And I'm just telling you, it ain't about you. And it ain't about me. It's about God. Christ rules the heart. Not Mike Kellett. And he says, you do this with gratitude. There's this thing of thankfulness again. Then he says, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father. So now all activity. Look, my identity is I'm clothing myself to look like Jesus. Here's my identity. My activity is to all of a sudden put those things in action with one another in church to be holy the way God wants me to be. And then that identity and activity turns into something that happens not just in a building, but something that happens at your house. Because then he moves into this thing of family and extended family and holiness. He doesn't just stop all in the middle of his writings and just say, you know, I just think I'd like to say something about marriage and raising kids and stuff. Let's just do that all of a sudden out of nowhere. No. Remember, he already told them they were saints and part of a family that was illustrated in chapter 1 by their faith, their hope, and their love. And that brought them together through the gospel. There had this fullness of Christ within them. There's things they're aware of not to get away from that. And as they function with each other, the, the family at your house, people you live with, they become an illustration of what's happened already in the body of Christ. So when he writes this to these people, he continues the context of how to be holy. Here's the holy forever family, and within the forever family, your family functions a certain way. Here's how they function. First he says, whatever you do in word or deed, you do all in the name of Jesus. And then he says, wives. Now why do you have to start with wives? Well, ladies first. That's why. Right? Wives, submit to your husbands as is, look here, fitting, fitting in the Lord. Wives, you don't submit to your husband because he's a great guy. Some of you just said, boy, you got that right. I mean, you know. No. You submit because you do what's fitting to the Lord. The peace of Christ rules your heart. The Word of Christ dwells in you. The name of Christ empowers you in whatever you do. And one of those things you do as a wife is you submit that's fitting to the Lord. Someone said, Mike, that sounds old-fashioned. Yeah it, yeah, it really is. It's as old as creation. You don't get much older than that. The origin of the relationship of a man and woman started at creation. In the beginning, God created. That moon and sun hang in the sky because in the beginning, God put them there. Their origin is God. He made male and female. That origin is God. They're both made in the image of God. With the ability to choose. And one of the things he encourages the Christian wife at Colossae to do is to be sure you choose to submit 
that's fitting to the Lord. It's, it's originated with God, this roles of men and women in marriage. And is that going to be counterculture? You bet it is. Because you know what? Christianity always rubs against the world. It doesn't walk along with it. Now look what he says. Husbands, love your wives. And I'm glad he put this next part. And do not be harsh with them. Now why do you think he says that? He says it because he knows that's our tendency. To be harsh. He knows that people just like, like Gary was talking about. People you get, you're with and you're familiar with all the time who are doing great things for you. You forget about how great they are. The next thing you know, you're griping about it, you're grumbling about it, and you're being harsh with them. Well, I can't believe you cooked that same thing for supper. Hey, buddy, be glad you cooked. You know? I can't believe you, you know. Uh, I mean, we can be so harsh. Don't be harsh. Guys, don't be harsh. By the way, just a little interesting note here. The word for wife in their language is there's not a different word for wife and woman, and there's not a different word for man and husband. So in the Greek, you always have to take it in its context to figure out which one it's talking about. It's just man and woman. And these wives submit because it's fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives. Don't be harsh. Children, got something for the whole family here. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. You don't obey kids because it pleases your mom and your dad. You obey because it pleases God. And if you can please God, where else would you want to be? I mean, would you want to be in a situation where you're not pleasing God? I mean, would you say, look, I just think I'll do something that doesn't please God today. I'm going to be rude and ugly and disobey my parents. Hey, look, I, that's not a place I want to be. You do it to please God, regardless of the faults and mistakes your parents make. And they'll make them, and I made them with my kids, and you'll have plenty of them. Then he says, fathers, do not embitter your children. If, you'll do, if you do that, you're going to discourage them. By the way, that's a principle not only in, in parenthood. It's a principle just in relationships. If you embitter people, then you know what? It's going to result in terrible, terrible discouragement. If you have people working for you and you treat them harshly and you embitter them, they're not going to make good employees. Dads, moms, dads, he says here, don't embitter your children. They'll become discouraged. I'd like to say as a parent I did everything right. I have two great kids. And it has really has nothing to do with me. They love God. One of them's raising his own right now. He has three. Got them all at the same time. I don't know that I would advise that. That's a little bit of a challenge. He adopted three kids all at the same time. And he's, him and his wife are raising these kids and they're learning. You know, when they're like four, five, and six, you got a lot to learn. Uh, 
I, I know he'll do better at compassion uh, and teaching than I did. I remember the last time I ever spanked my son. And it's the one time I shouldn't have. We were heading from Texas to Louisiana for a summer event. We had just sent, I just sent my best friend and his kids, who were also great friends with my kids, put them on a plane to Kazakhstan to plant a church. And we had cried all, all afternoon at lunch and packed them up and, 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 and got them off and were just emotional. And then uh, uh, Josh was with me and we're heading to Louisiana and we pull off and I don't like the way he acts and we're fixing to go into a McDonald's or something. And, and man, I'll tell you, he said something I thought was smart aleck and I mean, I, I laid a hand of encouragement on his backside. And I forgot. So I was all up in my own emotions. I forgot he just sent his friend as a teenager on a plane halfway around the world. He wasn't going to see him again. I forgot about that. And you know what? Did he sit in a seat embittered? Yeah. Rightfully so. Did I discourage him? You bet. I embittered him. I discouraged him that day. And I hated that I did. Parents, really, you've got to practice the whole chapter. When you deal with your kids, clothe yourself with compassion and kindness and gentleness and patience. Put up with some stuff. Forgive some stuff. And then make sure you're in the role God's called you to as you raise them up. But one other just quick word of advice on uh, parenting. Everybody listening? Expose your kids to great adults. Every time my daughter comes home, one of the first things she does is figure out a way to get together with Missy Williams. I exposed, she was exposed to Missy at an early age. They're close. She's an adult. Look, your kids, there'll be a time when they don't come to you, but they've got to have other adults in their life who are spiritually minded that they'll go to. Expose your kids to great adults. And you won't find them in the world. You're going to find them wrapped in the blanket of love in your church that you're walking in harmony with. That's why we all need everybody. Okay, now, some family and extended family. What do I mean by that? Now, this is interesting because he tells the next, he says, slaves. Slaves? I don't think we believe in slavery. He's not talking about whether you believe in slavery or not. He's talking about, look at the closet church, some people that were converted were slaves. Well, what do you do? Look what he says. Obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you, to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence or respect for the Lord. Again, the wife is doing it fitting for the Lord. The husband's doing it because of the Lord. Slaves, you live in your situation and you work the way you work because of the Lord. He's changed your life. You've clothed yourself with stuff that's different. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not men. Since you know that you'll receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward... 
It is the Lord Jesus Christ you are serving. How many times does he have to say, Christ, Lord, Christ, Lord, to get the message? Whatever your circumstance, even if you live in an unjust situation, if you become a Christian, what do you do? You still clothe yourself with these things. Anyone who does wrong will be paid for his wrong. There's no favoritism. You don't have to worry about making everybody have justice. God will take care of that. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair because you know that you also have a master in heaven. So now he tells the master, look, if this guy is, is there at Colossae and he's living his life and he, he's a master and he's got some slaves, he's got his family, which, by the way, were part of his household. This is extended family. Okay? And, 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 and all of a sudden, I mean, he's converted to Christ. How does that affect him as a dad? Well, for certain ways, I already told you that. How, how about a husband? All right, I've got to act this way. What about, what about these slaves that you have? He's not saying the situation is right or good. He's just saying whatever circumstance you become a Christian in, you've got to start wrapping yourself in the characteristics of Christ. And all of a sudden, you're doing what's right and what's fair. So all of a sudden, you're not mistreating. You're not, you don't have injustice anymore. Those things leave your life. You don't rule over people and control people's wills. That's not right. That's not fair. You stop doing those things, which eventually is going to lead to what? You're no longer a master. Oh, you might employ somebody. You might be a boss. Most people go straight to the work uh, 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 illustration in America and avoid the whole slavery master conversation. Paul's not writing to condone or to condemn it. He's just saying to a bunch of people at Colossae, when you're converted, whatever situation you're in, if you're in an unjust situation, you've got to still live for the God, for God. Now, is that hard to swallow? Yeah. Why? Because it runs against culture. The culture thinks it can fix everything and make everything right. I'm telling you, when people have the character of God in their life, you will eliminate favoritism. You will eliminate racism. You will eliminate slavery. You will eliminate things that are unjust and unright when you clothe yourself with the, Christ, with the culture of Christ and not the culture of the world. You're not going to change everything in our culture that's wrong. By the way, even this picture of, of a family... The majority of families in the United States, uh, the, the, the husband, wife, and child, that's the, that, that model, is the minor, they're in the minority. That's not what most families are made of in the United States anymore. That, that vision is gone. And yet God calls us to live a certain way. Really, the challenge becomes, are you going to be bold enough to live the way God calls you to or are you going to let the culture move you to how you live? Hard passages? Hard to practice? Yeah, it's hard to practice. When you've been taught something all your life, is it hard to change? Yeah, it's hard to change. When he says put on the love of Christ like a blanket... 
Look, by the way, this new identity, you know what he says earlier? Let me pick up one more verse here. Here, verse 11, here there is no Greek or Jew. You know what that means? No religious difference anymore. No Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised. Barbarian or Scythian. No, no ethnic group anymore. Division. The Scythians were a unique culture that they were known for riding horses and being warriors on the men and women. As they went up from up into Turkey and on up into other countries, there these. This was a whole different culture. There's no barbarian and Scythian. There's no slave or free. No, you don't have that anymore. There's your verse you were looking for, right? You don't have that in Christ. You don't have the social structure. You don't have the religious structure. And you don't have the ethnic structure that the world lives by. Why? Because Christ is in all and is in all. Red and yellow, black and white. Remember the little song we used to sing? I think it's high time we practice what we sing. Don't you dare make a judgment about somebody's heart because they're a different color. That is not in God's family. By the way, we don't need to be color blind and try to form some kind of in religion that everybody looks the same. We need to be colorful. With everybody bringing their talents and abilities and culture and whatever else that's good that can be honed into this blanket of love that wraps around everybody that says now we're in harmony the way God wants us to be. Don't you dare show favoritism in how you treat anybody. Holy living in the church, holy living in our family, holy living in our society as we function is always going to be a challenge. But you are successful at it. You know why? Because Christ empowers you. So when I do make a mistake, and I make plenty of them, who's here to help me? My family. I grew up in a church where nobody ever responded. Nobody ever went down front. Because if you went down front, it was a shame. You must have done something really bad if you had to walk down front. And then everybody, they, but they never told you. They just said, I've sinned. And then that left everybody walking out of the church building and say, I wonder what they did. You know, you really kind of wanted to know, but you kind of, you know, right? Sin snoopers, that's what we were. Can we snoop that out, figure that out? First time I ever preached a sermon, I was real nervous. Two guys preached before me that night. There's three of us. And uh, so they gave me the last, and so I had to offer the invitation. And so I preached, and I, I got done. I said the little deal about invitation. And then I just, I said, that's done. And a lady responded, and I didn't know what to do. And she comes toward me, and she's crying. She held out her hand, and I'm like, I'm like, one of you own ought to help you around here, you know. I mean, uh, I'm looking around, and so I just set her on the chair, and finally some leader from the church came, because I was 19 years old, I didn't, you know, and came over there and took care of her, and I'm like, whew, I've never seen that. 
Now, I'm in a church where we don't go a Sunday without people being on their knees or or down front asking the whole church family to pray for them. The, the elders are gathering around and sharing, and, and, and there's an openness. Do you know how unique that really is? That a forever family could be that open with each, with each other? To just say, we're all in this mess together, and I'm just as broken as you are? And what pulls us all together? Christ. Jesus pulls us together in all of our mess. If you're not in Christ, you need Jesus more than you need the next breath of fresh air. And we've been there. We hadn't had him. And we made a mess of our lives. And now we have it. Forgiveness? You know what that means? Newness. Newness. Brand new. Love? Acceptance. Compassion? Good-heartedness. You have all those within the holy family of God. I encourage you, read your Bible. Let the Word of God dwell in you richly. Let the peace of Christ rule your heart. And let the, the power of the name of Christ control how you do every activity, from whether, whether it's in your family or in your church family or in your job. You let the power of Christ enable you to live as an advertisement and testimony to the world that's different. And you will impact the people around you. Let's pray. Father, your word is always so challenging to us. I know we went through a lot today. But Father, help us as we walk out of here to make sure we understand that the fullness of Christ is enough. We don't have to please anybody but you. And we know that in our brokenness we mess up. I'm sorry for that. But Father, we also know that as broken people that are in Christ, there's fullness and there's forgiveness and there's joy. Help us to learn how to live with each other better. Help us to learn to put up with things. Help us to forgive, to have compassion. Help us to be grateful, not to be grumblers, not to gripe. Help us to be encouragers toward each other. And bless us to practice all the one another verses in this text into our families at the house. I'm thankful for this church, Father. So grateful we have a place for broken people. And grateful for your grace and for your mercy. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And amen.